text for this morning is Ecclesiastes 2, the verses 24 to 26. We'll read those verses again. Ecclesiastes 2, beginning at verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? <clears throat> for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of people have the idea that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a somber book. Uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Says a preacher, chapter one ends chapter two with that same phrase. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Sounds maybe a, a bit depressing, so it hardly seems appropriate maybe to hear a sermon on it just before a Thanksgiving Monday when we're supposed to rejoice in God's good gifts. But you know something, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, too? I, I read somewhere that the Jews always read the book of Ecclesiastes at their Thanksgiving day, on their Thanksgiving day. The most joyful feast of all, the Feast of Booths, which they celebrated right after the harvest was brought in. They feasted and rejoiced for seven days because it was a relief and joy when the fields were harvested and the barns were full. It'd be wonderful if we could have seven days of thanksgiving. How thankful and joyful those people were for God's grace and goodness. And, and it's exactly at that feast that that book of Ecclesiastes was then customarily read. How come, you wonder, how come reading from this apparently somber book at that joyful time of the year? Well, the Jews apparently understood the real message of this book. The preacher wanted to show in what he wrote how good it is to live this life in the light of God's goodness, God's grace, His salvation, and how depressing and how meaningless it would be without God's grace and goodness. Tomorrow we give thanks to Him for a giving harvest and providing us every reason to be joyful. And that's exactly what the preacher commends in our text, enjoyment. And I preach to you God's word here with that theme then, the preacher commends enjoyment. And we see that he does so in spite of the fact that this enjoyment doesn't change life itself. In the second place, because it is God who gives to whom he pleases this enjoyment, and thirdly, because that's the inheritance God has laid away for his people, enjoyment, joy. So first of all, the preacher commends enjoyment in spite of the fact that that enjoyment 
isn't really going to change life itself. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's one of the things the preacher comes back to time and again in this book, all is vanity. Nothing in this life has meaning and purpose in itself. It has meaning and purpose only in God, in what he has worked in Christ, actually, and that's a foreshadowing here, of course, but that's the conclusion the preacher wanted to show. Life under the sun only has meaning if you also look beyond the sun to God and his grace. In the meantime, though, the preacher says he wanted to see if he could find the meaning and purpose of life from experiencing it under the sun alone. So he tested everything life has to offer. He tried pleasure. He says at the beginning of Ecclesiastes 2, can pleasure itself satisfy, uh, give life meaning, uh, purpose, give your life direction, pleasure, the pursuit of enjoyment, give man fulfillment? Is it the end that we could be striving for in life, pleasure and enjoyment? So that's what the preacher tested first in this book. After all, enjoyment is one of the main themes of the Bible, too. Think of Psalm 65, which we just sang. Mentions rejoicing, shouting for joy. Think of what the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it's fully biblical to rejoice and enjoy the fruits of one's toil and the blessings of the Lord. So the preacher, king in Israel, doesn't waste any time trying out the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment to see if that might be the aim and purpose of life. That's, maybe, that, maybe that's the end, what the end of our life should be about, the goal. And you will have noticed, I'm sure, from the first part of Ecclesiastes 2, that he really went to town with this uh, pursuit of pleasure. Come now, he said, I'll test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Surrounded himself with every conceivable pleasure there is in life, built beautiful houses, planted nice vineyards, laid out lovely gardens and parks with shining pools and lush fruit trees and, and so on. It was all super deluxe, a pleasure for the eyes, a pleasure to be busy with, lots to enjoy. But the result of that test, that trying out pleasure as the point of life here, the result was zero, zilch. All the enjoyment he got for himself didn't satisfy. After he had enjoyed himself to the limit as much as he could, he had to conclude that pleasure and enjoyment don't fix the ills of this life. There's still so much that takes away from that here. Pleasure itself doesn't really give life under the sun meaning and direction and purpose. So the result of that test of pleasure and enjoyment was that it cannot be the purpose of your life. As he writes in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11, Then I looked on the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for wind. There was no profit under the sun. In other words, pleasure can't be the purpose. However, congregation, does that mean that the, pre that the preacher then concludes, well, no use bothering to try, even try to enjoy yourself. 
because it's not the point of life anyway? Not at all. In spite of the fact that pleasure and enjoyment can't function as the meaning of life, doesn't mean that he then says, forget pleasure and enjoyment, keep a serious face, walk around somberly. Not at all. He says in the first verse of our text, nothing is better for a man than that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. That's a statement inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's an important statement to think about today. We live in a society which, for the large part, seeks its fulfillment in pleasure and enjoyment. A lot of what goes on in the world today is simply pleasure-oriented, as if that's the purpose of life. Think of the whole entertainment industry, the multi-billion dollar movie industry, the huge contemporary music industry, the whole wide world of sports, digital gaming, all for pleasure. People pay all kinds of money for sports and entertainment. Bigger, bigger TV, better and better surround sound systems so you can get right into the game or into the movie. And the, the, one, the one game is out and the next is already being developed. And food, food is a big thing today. So many television shows center around food, fancier all the time. And so very much of that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is escapism. Escape, designed to occupy and please the senses so that people can forget the somber realities of this broken life under the sun. And I don't say we can't ever watch a movie or get a better sound system or try out better restaurants and so on, but we have to realize that a lot of what goes on around us in this secular world, in the pleasure and entertainment industry, is basically geared to the seeking of pleasure as if this is what life is about. This is the ultimate goal in life, have fun. And the sad thing is that while all that pleasure helps people forget the brokenness and barrenness of this fallen life for a while, it can't change it. It can't fix it. It can't fix the brokenness of, of life after the fall into sin. Because after the playoffs are over, after the latest adventure movie has run its course, after the latest songs have sunk off the charts, after the newest foods have been digested, what has actually changed in this world? What has actually changed in, in life itself? What has it done for this broken world? Has it cleaned up any of the grubbiness, truly fixed any of the brokenness, actually removed any of the suffering in this world? You realize that that whole pleasure and enjoyment industry is not going to solve any of life's problems. It doesn't have answers. It leaves life as it is. You could cheer or laugh or sing for a while, and then it's back to reality. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. And knowing that truth, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, might make you as a Christian inclined to be kind of negative about it. Enjoyment, 
right? Pleasure can't fix the wrongs and brokenness of this world, so we might as well avoid it. What's the use of playing an enjoyable game, listening to some music, good music, or having some fun at an anniversary? All useless pleasure. Empty. As Christians, we could say, as Christians, we have better things to do than seek enjoyment. As Christians, we should keep straight, serious faces. But if we say that, I'm afraid we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Throw out all enjoyment and entertainment out because others misuse it and make it the end-all and the be-all. That's not what the preacher did. In Ecclesiastes 2, he says that he tried out enjoyment to see if it could give life meaning and purpose, and it couldn't. After the pleasure and the laughter, the brokenness of life is still there. It's still the same. It doesn't cure anything. And nevertheless, the preacher doesn't say, just forget about it all, enjoyment. Just put your nose to the grindstone and slave until you die. Might as well walk around with serious face all the time. No, he doesn't come to that conclusion in the text and throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, he still commends enjoyment. He commends it. All the way through this book, Ecclesiastes 8.15, he says, So I commend enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, young people, he says to the young people of the church, to, he tells them, enjoy yourselves. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Have fun. You could say that enjoyment is actually one of, one of the underlying themes in the book of Ecclesiastes 2, inspired by God himself. The preacher makes it clear that enjoyment cannot be, may not be the end-all and the be-all of your life, as if that's what you're all about, Pleasure and having fun can hardly wait for the weekend. There is a time to laugh. There's also a time to cry. And yet he commends us to have enjoyment in life. And that doesn't mean, of course, he's going to give license to everybody to seek out every kind of pleasure and enjoyment no matter what. No, the norms of God's word remain. Keep your wisdom. It says, pleasure and enjoyment are to be sought in things that don't conflict with your status as God's people in this world, as people who have the promises in Christ. So in spite of all the bad amusement and entertainment out there in this world and all the dangers associated with it, the preacher still says, enjoy your life here and your work. Find enjoyment here. He commends it. He doesn't want covenant people to walk around all day long with long, somber faces. God's people, young and old, should be able to enjoy the good gifts God gives, have pleasure at the right time, a game, a party, fun. God gives room to laugh and enjoy, even in all the brokenness of life. He gives that enjoyment. In fact, we could say he gives that as a gift and that brings us to the second point. The preacher commends enjoyment because it's God who gives that enjoyment to whom he pleases. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the preacher commends enjoyment because he says it's a gift from God. 
But if enjoyment is given by God, we run into a little bit of a bothersome problem that could hinder that enjoyment, because remember, it's enjoyment in a broken world. The problem is the problem of the apparent unequal distribution of enjoyment in this world then. One person has all kinds of prosperity, can enjoy all kinds of happy occasions in this life, while another person suffers from all kinds of problems, has little opportunity for pleasure in life, struggles along. That's why some people are negative about pleasure and enjoyment today, too. There's so many people who suffer and who have little or nothing to be happy about in life. How can we have enjoyment while there is still so much suffering and struggling in this world? Well, the preacher touches on that unequal distribution of happiness and enjoyment in the text in the first part of verse 26, where the preacher says, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. Notice that it says to a man who is good in his sight. That sounds as if God is giving wisdom and enjoyment to every person who does what he wants. That's not really what the original text says here, though. And you'll find that out if you compare translations here. The preacher says that God gives wisdom and joy according to his good pleasure to whomever it pleases him in his wisdom to give those things. God gives enjoyment to whom he wills to believers as well as unbelievers. And by the same token, he gives trouble, trouble to, whom he, to whoever he wills, to wicked as well as good. And that's the point here. Think about that, beloved. If God gave only enjoyment to people who are good, to believers, then people would have every, have every reason to say that if you want enjoyment in life, then you should just do what God says. And then serving God is not going to be a matter of love for the, the God of all grace anymore, but it's going to be doing what God wants so you can get what you want. Obeying God would then be a means to obtain success and happiness in life. And there are Christians who believe that. Have faith and obey God, and He'll guarantee health, wealth, and happiness. But that actually makes man's happiness and pleasure the, the point of life too. No, brothers and sisters, the preacher doesn't say that God only gives enjoyment to those who serve him. There are then people who he gives a lot of enjoyment in life, and there are people who he gives very little to enjoy in life at all. And why does God do that? Why that unequal distribution of, of joy? The preacher doesn't know. It's a mystery to him. Why God distributes enjoyment as he does. Chapter 8, verse 14, he says, There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. It's a riddle to the preacher. Why God distributes happiness and enjoyment the way he does. It doesn't take place according to the rules and reasons we can understand. Nevertheless, the preacher sees God in it all, and that's faith. Unbelief, you know, wants to figure everything out. Unbelief looks for a God who distributes according to our rules, to our sense of justice, our sense of right and wrong, and not just in the future, but after this life. But here, here, unbelief says the righteous should receive blessings and enjoyment, and the wicked should receive evil and sorrow. 
if it doesn't happen that way, then I can't accept God. But that isn't faith anymore then. Believing in God is trusting in Him without being able to figure out exactly what He's doing in this world and in your life right now and why. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is trusting in God's promises of justice and mercy in spite of everything in your life or in the world that seems to maybe point in the opposite of justice and mercy of God. That's the kind of faith the preacher shows in our text. Enjoyment is distributed to righteous and wicked alike as well as sorrow. And he can't reason it out, but he still believes that God in his wisdom and goodness is behind it all. Verses 24 and 25, the preacher then says, This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? In other words, the preacher says God gives enjoyment not according to what, what we think is right, but according to his good pleasure. And do you see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, what that means for God's people today too? Also this Thanksgiving weekend, when believers are blessed in their lives and in their toil in such a way that they can have enjoyment, they should certainly enjoy. It's a gift of God. In fact, if you don't enjoy, then when there's opportunity in, to enjoy, if you don't enjoy it from God's hand, then you leave that gift from God unopened. If God blesses you so that you can enjoy, then he wants you to rejoice and enjoy it too. You can enjoy a Thanksgiving meal together tomorrow, enjoy the day, and then not for enjoyment's own sake, or you think that's the point of life, that's how unbelievers throw themselves into enjoyment when they have it. No, but in gratitude to God because enjoyment is His gracious gift to you. And it's true that your enjoyment isn't going to straighten out what's broken in this world and in life and in your own life. Everything is broken because of sin and that, that sin can only be dealt with in Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate point. It's also true that there's unequal distribution of wealth and health and happiness in this broken world, but that may, may, may not make it impossible to enjoy oneself when you're able to. That's from God. And it's wonderful that in this fallen world, so broken and made crooked by sin, people can still have enjoyment. It's a light of God's goodness and mercy shining through everything. And what all that means, congregation, is in that the misery, all the misery in the world doesn't have to make us feel guilty about enjoyment this Thanksgiving. It's true. While we, we sit our, at our Thanksgiving dinners, the turkey on the table in our warm, warm homes, thousands of other people in the world go hungry and homeless, have nothing, don't know where they're going to live from tomorrow. No work. Even in our own country. And congregation, that may not leave us cold. Yes, we can enjoy, but it shouldn't leave us cold either. For, for those who know that the good things come from God, from above, the enjoyment of the good things then also means sharing those gifts with those in need, sharing that enjoyment as possible with others. Receiving good gifts from God makes a believer a gracious giver 
A Christian to whom God gives wisdom and enjoyment will want to share that enjoyment with others. The thing is, though the hunger and homelessness and pain there is in this world shouldn't take away from our, our enjoyment as a gift of God in this broken world, this world broken by sin. Enjoyment is important for our faith. Enjoyment is evidence that, that God is still there, still positive, wanting to work good here. Enjoyment is from God. It's evidence of faith in God who will change this world through his Son. The fact that we can enjoy things in this evil world today shows that there's a great promise for the future in Christ. A time of nothing but enjoyment is on the way. We just see little bits of it here and there, here. But a time of full enjoyment is on the way. And that brings us to the last point. The preacher commends enjoyment since it's the inheritance God lays away for his people. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it might seem like the message of our text is only for some, for those who are able to have enjoyment in this life. But you wonder about those who don't have it so good, who have adversity to deal with, financial hardship, sickness, infirmity, other kinds of suffering in this life, relationship suffering. What about them? What can we say to those who haven't been given much to enjoy, much to take pleasure in here at this time? Well, note what else it says in verse 26 of the text. But to the sinner, God gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. What that actually means is that God lets the wicked, the unbelievers, gather and heap up and even enjoy for themselves here. But what they worked for and accumulated here is only temporarily theirs. There comes a time when what they gathered and collected and enjoyed without God will be taken from them and it'll be given to God's people in Christ. The idea here is that God lets those who love sin gather things up here and now so he can give it to those who look to him in their need and sorrow. Believers will inherit the kingdom of heaven, the enjoyment unbelievers accumulated for themselves here. And that's a wonderful comfort for those who aren't given much enjoyment under the sun here in this life. There's a whole inheritance of accumulated enjoyment waiting for them in the future. The more they suffered here, in fact, the more joy stored up for them when Christ their Savior returns in glory. And that gives joyful hope here, even in the middle of suffering. You know that it'll be as it was with your Savior. He suffered, he suffered and all enjoyment was taken away from him on the cross so that we might look forward to the full joy that will be given to each and every one in the kingdom of heaven, joy in the Lord. In that kingdom, the gift of enjoyment will be justly and equally distributed to all. Justly and equally in the sense that God's children in Christ will all receive that eternal joy while God's enemies receive eternal suffering. Now, at this time, God distributes as, as he pleases for his purposes. But when Christ returns, he'll distribute in Christ. Whoever belongs to Christ will receive eternal joy. 
Whoever does not belong to Christ will receive eternal grief. And then God will set everything right in this broken world. That will fix this world completely. God's children in Christ who suffer and struggle now will then receive the gifts and the enjoyment that God has saved up for them and that they missed here. So congregation, every believer may be thankful for pleasure and enjoyment. Even if you don't have that much enjoyment here and you see others with all kinds of enjoyment in life. Because one thing is certain, we have an inheritance of full and complete joy in Christ coming to us. And even if you have one disappointment in life after another and hardly any enjoyment at this time, you can find deeper joy in believing that in Christ you have an inheritance in the full enjoyment which is coming with Christ. Sharing joy, sharing joy too then, you realize, is, is important in the church now already then too. That's why Christ instituted the office of the deacons. Their task is to ensure that as much as possible, every member shares in the joy of God's people. That's how it's stated. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that the deacons can always give tangible joy. They, they can't necessarily relieve the pain someone suffers because of a sickness. They can't necessarily fix something if someone keeps mismanaging their money. But, but then the deacons can point that person to the inheritance of joy in Christ, which will be full when they meet him. And then the deacons maybe can't bring much change in the physical situation of that person, but they can help in the spiritual condition. There's enjoyment now already in the prospect of the full joy that is coming with Christ. And then there's also joy at seeing the enjoyment of others even if you don't experience that joy yourself. Seeing it in others already gives you some joy, too. That enjoyment you see around you is being saved up for you, too, though. You'll have your full share in the future. So the enjoyment of others can bring enjoyment to somebody who has a hard time now because they see God's work in that. They see the future coming closer that full joy. He's storing up enjoyment for me so I can have it full in the future. Congregation, the Jews in the Old Testament understood that enjoyment is a gift from God which is to be commended. That's why they had this book of Ecclesiastes read at their Thanksgiving feast when harvest was all brought in, the barns. The Feast of Tabernacles was in the the Israelites, you know, that, that, that they lived in booths to remember how they had been provided for God on the way to the promised land. They lived in kind of temporary dwellings made of branches and so on. Reminded them that they were also still on the way to the real promised land, yet the eternal kingdom of God where there's perfect and eternal joy. And we can understand that even better than those Jews in the Old Testament when they were at their Feast of Booths, when they celebrated their, their Thanksgiving feast. In Jesus Christ and in his redemption, that gift of enjoyment has been made much more real and brought much closer to us even than, than for those people in the Old Testament. 
We have every reason for enjoyment today then, too, as we think back this Thanksgiving on what God and His grace has worked for us in Christ and graciously given us in this season, too. And we can look to the future with more clarity than those Old Testament Jews. We can look ahead to the glorious inheritance promised us in Christ in the future. Perfect enjoyment in being with Christ forever. And if we think about that, then whether we have much or little today, whether we had a hard time or we have it good, we have every reason for real enjoyment under the sun, don't we? For in Christ, the gift of enjoyment here is not vanity, but it's a foretaste of the eternal joy.